Whew. You might be wondering if that's true today. Does God really love me? Maybe it's a good reminder for you this morning. Maybe you came here not really believing that because of something you've done or something that someone has done to you. But it is true. God really loves you. Thank you all so much for being here today. We are continuing our series entitled Encounters with Christ. Uh, Josh did such a great job last week. Uh, I am so thankful to be here again today. Uh, I want to just say, as we are looking through this, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. As we're looking through this series, my hope is what you'll see is you, you can't really predict all the time how Jesus is going to interact with somebody. Um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things specifically, I know for me, like you, you hear something about somebody and you go, ooh, that doesn't sound like them. That, that just doesn't sound like that. And there are things you obviously do that with, with Jesus, but there are other times where you go, I mean, maybe he would do that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It was always, you know, funny as a kid with a what would Jesus do bracelet, because sometimes you go, I don't know. He spit in the dirt one time, one time he didn't. You know, what, what is he going to do? I don't know. So it's why sometimes these interactions that we see when he interacts with people are so um, impactful, because he chooses exactly what to do with intention and purpose every time he has an interaction with someone. And so today, uh, the encounter that we'll look at is someone uh, that Jesus truly reveals something about them in a very interesting way. Uh, and if you're in here today, he wants to show you who you are. And my, my hope and my prayer is that, is that you'll hear what he has to say to you today. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is a familiar story, but I hope you'll listen to the words of it. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied to him, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied to him with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, 
he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This story is one that you might be familiar with, or maybe not. You might have heard the story or the phrase, be a good Samaritan, be a good Samaritan. But see, this story is more than just Jesus saying, go and love someone. It is more than saying, go and be a good deed doer to those in your midst. Jesus tells an intentional story to answer a man's question about who he should love. The key word at the center of this story is the word neighbor. What comes to your mind when you hear the word neighbor? For me, this guy. That's Fred Rogers. Now, if you are around my age or a little bit older, you may remember growing up to this man asking you a very intentional question. And that question was, won't you be my neighbor? You see, the thing that I knew about Fred Rogers as a kid is that he cares about me. He's never met me before, but he wants me to be his neighbor. And I thought, what a great guy. That's cool. And so I would watch with intent as he interacted with people, as he showed you what it meant to be a good neighbor. And then I got older, and I discovered more about who Fred Rogers was. He was so intentional about children who he viewed as quite innocent and moldable that they would not be influenced by some of the demands of our culture. In fact, he would go before Congress arguing that we should not have certain types of programming on television when children might be present in the room. And so Congress, so swayed by this man's compassion and integrity of life, decided to take him up on his request. Advertising changed, television program changed, all because of this man's intention to express to everyone, won't you be my neighbor? See, to set this story in a little bit of context, Jesus Christ came to earth and was doing ministry. And his ministry didn't look like everybody else who had come before him doing ministry. In fact, his ministry was beginning to be a little bit unique. He was casting out demons at the mere mention of his name. He was healing diseases and things about people that had been there both from birth or later in life and people were changing. But then to set things even in a crazier context, he looks at these uneducated men who he asked to be his disciples, and he said, all right, y'all's turn. And he sends them out in pairs, and he tells them with audacity, go heal, go cast out demons, and go tell them about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus came to show us that the way that the world is, it's not the way that the world is supposed to be. And he was ushering in his kingdom on earth. And you saw it with everything he did and said. But there were people who were living according to another kingdom. And so when they hear 
that there are uneducated fishermen and despicable tax collectors who are going around and they have the complete crazy thought that if they said, in the name of this man Jesus, be healed, demons come out, that it would happen. And it was happening. In fact, the disciples came back and they were like, Jesus, oh my gosh, when we talk to the demons, they come out. They respond to our voice. We can heal people. And when we share that God loves them, people change. Jesus, how can this be? And Jesus told them, don't celebrate the fact that demons respond to you. Celebrate the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But not everybody was excited about that. And so this man, this expert of the law, this scribe, this lawyer, as some translations say, he has a particular response to Jesus' movement in his region. And so we see Jesus reveal something about this man. An encounter with Christ reveals my attitude. That's your first fill-in. An encounter with Christ reveals my attitude. Verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I hope that that phrasing causes you to just pause and ask yourself the question, why would anyone desire to test Jesus? Luke puts that in there on purpose to draw something out in you. This man's intentions, last week we talked about, Josh taught us what it meant to be a skeptic, that you're searching for truth, you're asking questions. And if the truth flies in the face of what you knew to be true before, you'll give it all up to embrace the truth. But I don't think this man is a skeptic. In fact, if we'll pull up Josh's definition from last week, I think he falls more in the cynical category. And that definition is this, selfishly or callously calculating, negative or pessimistic. You gotta understand that right before this interaction happens, we're seeing Jesus' disciples go and minister to people but not everybody's okay with that, and so they begin to be rejected. This man's intentions are to test Jesus. His heart was full of pride. He was seeking to test who we know is the Savior of the world, the man whose group of disciples were healing the sick, casting out demons, and sharing the gospel with great effectiveness. Why would this man, who is an expert in religious law, be doing anything other than celebrating what obviously is a move of the Spirit of God. And Jesus, rather than respond to this man's ill intentions with defensiveness, he answers him with a question. Now, I want to be clear here. Sometimes we'll take this as strategy for ourselves and we'll go, oh, well, anytime somebody asks me a question, I need to answer that with a question. We'll use that as our evangelism training, right? And oftentimes that is very effective, but you also have to remember you're not Jesus, and so Jesus probably knew some things that were going on in this situation that you may not know. Now, that's not to say it's not a great idea to ask questions. I'm just reminding you this is Jesus. He's perfect in every interaction, okay? So just remember that as we look at this. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your 
soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. See, Jesus did not answer his question directly. In fact, Jesus played off what he knew to be true about this man's heart, his pride. And you know what a prideful man loves to talk about? The things he knows the best. And this was an expert in the law of Moses. And this man answered this question with excellence. Jesus confirms that. He took two passages of Scripture, separated, and put them together. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 that talks about we should love the Lord our God with everything inside of us. Moses was told by God to tell the people of Israel that, who had just been taken out of slavery. And as Josh talked about a little bit last week, we should have a new identity. And because of that new identity, we have to learn to live in that new identity. And so we've got to understand that he's taking this, what is true about the law of Moses, and he's saying this is how we should love God. And then he takes a passage of Scripture from Leviticus 19, verse 18, which spoke of loving your Israelite neighbor well. Now what's interesting is Leviticus 19 talks a lot about being a neighbor. In fact, it talks about how we should treat people who are different than us, treat people who are foreigners in our land, how we should treat people who are deaf and blind. It gives a lot of categories of different types of people, and Leviticus tells us that, but it is interesting that the phrasing that this man takes out is the phrasing from how do I love my fellow Israelite. See, this text is not only illustrative of this man's knowledge of the law, but also Jesus is sharing the gospel with this man. And he's doing it in a way to let this man know who he really is. Jesus asks a question, but it's not combative, it's honest. And he asks a question to a man who thinks that he's smarter than Jesus Christ. When you approach God, What's your attitude towards him? When you sum up your prayer request to him, do you treat him like he truly is in control of everything? Or should he be subservient to your requests? Well, some of us might be skeptical, as Josh talked about last week. There might be some in this room who are cynical, hostile to the things of God. All of us brought an attitude in here today. You know, it's, it's funny sometimes because we do, we pray, God, let's, let's leave all these things that have happened this week behind and let us focus on you. And I think there's some, some good pieces of that, that we should prioritize Christ above all the things happening in our life. But honestly, I think we should bring all those things happening into our life, into this place. And we should ask Jesus to interpret them for us. Where am I missing? What, what's some things that I can't understand? Help us see. And so... Today, what attitude did you bring with you into this place? Did you bring a prove-it-to-me-Jesus attitude? Did you bring the, I'm, I'm here for whatever you want? What can I bring to you today, God? What's the attitude that you brought today? What are you expecting from Jesus? When you approach God, know that God might reveal an attitude in your life that needs adjustment. An encounter with Christ also reveals my affection, reveals my affection. Verse 29, 
after Jesus just told this man that he was right, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. Luke shows us this man's heart. He is seeking to justify himself by the words of Jesus and not by any action on his own. Is there a behavior or sin in your own life that you are seeking for God to justify? Maybe it's your disconnection from community. Maybe it's some type of greed or hatred towards another person. Maybe it's a lack of effort. I just got a lot going on right now. Maybe it's a conflict that you know you need to get involved in and reconcile, but you're just comfortable having somebody else deal with that. Jesus, his words put to a story cut to this man's heart. Jesus exposed his sin, his pride, and his issue all with a story. See, in the law, this man knew what it meant for him to specifically look out for his fellow Israelites. So when he asked Jesus this question, he asked it in a specific way. Who am I supposed to love? The way that I should think that we should ponder this question is, what neighborhood should I be concerned about? Maybe, maybe that neighborhood is just in your own home. Maybe it's down the street from you. Maybe it's in your region. Maybe it's a neighborhood that's so far away, you'll never even meet those people. But who should I be concerned about? So what did Jesus do as this man is asking what may be the wrong question? Well, he started to talk about different types of neighborhoods. And he tells this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. And if you're hearing this story, which Jesus may have made up, it may have been a real story that he saw, just like he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, you would be thinking to yourself, what great luck this man has. A priest has come by. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. And again, you would go from, oh my goodness, that man did what he knew was not right. But, oh my goodness, there's a temple assistant. This is great. What great news. What great luck. This man has two people that should be concerned for him happen to pass by. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And if you were hearing this story as a Jew, you would immediately think to yourself, uh-oh, this man's good luck just turned into rotten luck. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. I think it's interesting that Jesus points out how this man felt towards the other man. We don't have any picture of how the priest or the temple assistant felt. We just see what they did. But this man felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He would have had those supplies because Jericho was dangerous, and yet he used his own supplies to be able to care for any of those wounds on this man. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. This story could have been true, could have been made up by Jesus on the spot. The road to Jericho was 17 miles long, and it would have descended almost a half a mile in elevation. And it was surrounded by nooks and crannies. It was like the perfect spot if you were a bandit to hide and take care of some people so that you could take everything from them. It was a dangerous place. In fact, it's one of the reasons why the disciples urged Jesus not to go that way. But he went anyway. As this man is attacked, stripped, naked, and left for dead, we have some people walk by. First, a priest. Now, priests were the representatives of God. In fact, they were called an intercessor. They were to take the words of God and translate them to the people, and they were to take the people's concerns that they had, and they were to present them to God. But not only were they intercessor in their role, they also managed the important parts of worship. They would have managed the temple, they would have maintained the tabernacle and the altar of God. Their job, summed up, was to instruct the Israelites how to be holy. But the priest did not fulfill his role on this day. Instead, either by hatred, a desire to remain ceremonially clean, or just not wanting to get involved, got as far away from the man as possible, as the Greek told us. Not like he turned his eyes. You know what I'm talking about. When you go in the grocery store and you see somebody that you don't want to talk to, you don't just like hide your eyes. That's too obvious. You go like six aisles down, right? Well, the Greek, what it's trying to illustrate is you don't just go six, miles, six aisles down. You, if you're in Walmart, you go to Publix. You just leave and go away. Second, a temple assistant. This would have been more accurately translated a Levite the tribe that was designed, orchestrated by God to be the priest. And this temple assistant would have been an understudy to the priest. And he passed by the man as well. What's different than him than the priest is there's probably a little bit of youthful vigor and passion, desiring to do those compassionate things that maybe you would have done as a young person, but maybe now that you're a little bit older, you've got to hang up the boots. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This man would have been instructed for his entire life in the ways of the law of the Lord. He also would have been responsible for maintaining the temple, the altar, and the tabernacle. He saw him as well. And the Greek says, just the same, he went to the other side of the road. He took off to Publix. Not so great for the religious Jews who would have been hearing this story from Jesus the man who asked Jesus the question would have readily identified himself with both the priest and the temple assistant. This man might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable with Jesus' story. Lastly, a Samaritan. But Luke says he's not just a Samaritan. He wants you to understand particularly who the Samaritans were according to the Jews, a despised Samaritan. Jesus made the despised man the hero of this story. This man not only felt compassion for this man, but he acted in compassion for him. See, the Samaritans also would have known 
that touching someone with open wounds or who might be presumed dead would have made them ceremonially unclean. And so the law of the Lord tells you not to touch those people. So the act of a Samaritan who's despised by the Jews, who would have known the law of Moses to touch this man was taking an intentional step to make himself unclean in order to care for someone else. He used his own hands, his own supplies, and his own donkey to rescue this man. He also placed himself at risk because the road that goes to Jericho doesn't suddenly become less dangerous because he's on a rescue mission. He's carrying a half-dead man with him, which makes him even more vulnerable to bandits who wish him nothing but harm. He is placing himself at risk by bearing this man's burden in addition to his own. Then he puts him up in an inn. The scriptures say that he paid the innkeeper two silver coins. That's translated denarii. A denarii would have been an entire day's wages. Scholars believe that based on how inn rates would have been at that time, this man would have paid for two months' stay at the inn. Significantly generous. But not only that, then he told the innkeeper that if he incurs any more expenses while I'm away, I will pay for them when I come back, essentially handing the innkeeper a blank check. If you're hearing this story, your response might be, wow, wow. How does the Samaritan's actions compare with your own? Put in this same situation, what would you do? See, Jesus intentionally chose a Samaritan to be the hero of this story. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Even though they believed a lot of the same things, they argued over the rightful place to worship God. The Jews believed that Jerusalem is where they should worship God. The Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim is where they should worship God. In fact, the Jews were so frustrated at this conflict that they also attacked the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim show their hatred. This wasn't a you live your life, I'll live my life kind of relationship. It was contentious and filled with hatred and conflict. Jesus, by taking the religious law keepers group of people and making their enemy the hero of the story, was turning this man's question on its head. And at the same time, he was pointing out to this man his bias towards his own people group. See, the Scriptures serve the same purpose in our lives. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says it this way, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, just as Jesus did to this man, our innermost thoughts and desires. When we experience the love, the grace, the truth of who Jesus is, He enables us to sense the things that are contrary to His nature. What sinful affection has been with Jesus changed in your own life? What are some of those things that you were committed to before you came to know Christ? And now that He's revealed Himself to you, you've completely altered your life to come under His leadership. 
What sinful affection might you be harboring today? Jesus seeks to reveal to you who you truly are. An encounter with Christ also reveals my authority. Verse 36, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus then asked his own question to the man. It's so important for us when it comes to having spiritual conversations with others, it's okay to ask someone, what do you believe? Especially if you're an older person with maybe a a prodigal teenager or young adult, it should be a question that you desire to ask of them. What do you believe about this? But be careful. Young people can sniff out your motivation very quickly. So if you're attempting to use that question as a hammer to manipulate them into embracing the truth, they'll figure it out. But if you truly want to know what is it about their mind, their heart that aligns with this idea that I know to be contrary to the gospel, and you are truly feeling compassion and love towards them, they will gladly answer you. Most of the time to tell you why they think you're wrong. But Jesus was in that very scenario. And he asked this man, based on this story, Who became a neighbor to this man? I think that it's so interesting that while this man asks the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus, as reflected in the Greek, really asked, who became a neighbor to this man? The man asked, who's my neighbor? But Jesus emphasizes something a bit different to this man. The scribe was concerned about Who are the other people that I should judge myself by? How much I love them. But Jesus wanted him to see it's about who you are. And when you are presented with a need, you have an opportunity to become a neighbor. Here's the thing about Fred Rogers that I just love. He wanted to be everybody's neighbor. And I really believe if you had an interaction with him, you would walk away thinking like, this man loved me. The scribe wanted to know who's supposed to be in my neighborhood, who's in my realm of influence that I need to care about. But Jesus was concerned about how good a neighbor are you, regardless of the neighborhood that you might find yourself in. Jesus teaches this man how to become a neighbor and indirectly answers the man's question at the same time. Regardless of any characteristic that we might find detestable, whether it be intelligence, maybe too much, maybe not enough, social status, they know everybody, they know no one, income level, they've got too much, They have nothing. Race or ethnicity, lack of relationship, quirks, weird accents like me and Perry, or even political affiliations. There is no group that we are called not to show neighborly love to. Everyone is our neighbor as a follower of Jesus.
But then Jesus gives us what most people think is the main part of the story. Go and do likewise. But I think Jesus is trying to teach something more direct to this man. He's trying to get this man to ask himself the question, who's really in charge of my life? See, the man thought that he was in charge of his own life. Jesus is pointing out that this man's standard of righteousness, which he thought was probably pretty high, is not the standard by which he should be measuring himself. In fact, the standard of God for how we should show love to another person is the Good Samaritan in every situation. And this man, if he truly heard the story of Jesus, he should have recognized he can't meet that standard on his own. What should have been the man's response to Jesus' statement? When Jesus says, go and do likewise, go and extravagantly show love to another human being, go sacrifice yourself, go make yourself unceremonially clean on behalf of your enemy, what should have been that man's response? Jesus, I can't. I'll never be able to do that in every situation. I've fallen short. I don't have that kind of love. Can you make me that kind of neighbor? Make me like the man that I despise. And maybe that was his response. We don't know. We don't know this man's response to Jesus' story. But what we do know is that Jesus clearly shows that this man's authority is misplaced. This scribe sees himself as the standard by which he should judge himself and others. But God's standard is the only standard that we can measure ourselves by. And we never will measure up of our own efforts. We must have God deal with our missing the mark when it comes to God's holy standard. In fact, that is what sin means. It's not just the heinous behaviors, the evil things that we do or think or intend to do. It is also the times that we should be doing the right thing and we don't do it or we don't do enough. And that leaves a gap. If we are supposed to measure ourselves by the standard that God sets and we don't, even one time, there's a gap that must be filled. And this man's response should have been, I'll never measure up to that. And that should be our response. We'll never measure up to that. What I also think is interesting about this story is that Jesus at one time was made fun of by being called a Samaritan. But if you're too quick to think, Jesus just loves these Samaritan people. I mean, he's always speaking highly of them. Well, no, that's not true either. In fact, before this story, the disciples were doing ministry in Samaria, and they rejected Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus told them to leave that place. The thing that you must notice about Jesus is he doesn't pick sides. You either are measuring up to the standard that God has 
or you're not. You either see yourself as your own savior or you don't. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile or Samaritan. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your experiences in life are. It doesn't matter if you've ever met Jesus before or you've heard everything about him. Jesus loves you. And because he came to earth and lived obediently and showed what it looks like to be the good Samaritan in every situation, including his own torture and death. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your gap is closed. And God sees you as righteous because Jesus offers his righteousness to you. Jesus was murdered. He was raised to new life by the resurrection of the Holy Spirit, all for your benefit. Is God your authority? Is God the standard by which you measure yourself by? Or have you concocted your own measurement system? Do you live your life according to the plan of God? If not, there's grace for you today. But if you're a cynic in this place and your heart is opposed to the gospel, you've got to understand there's only one hope for you to love extravagantly. There's only one option for you. And it's not to join this church. It's not to do another Bible study. It's not to get in the right small group. It's not to take the right job opportunity. It is to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you've got an opportunity to do that today. Our care volunteers and Pastors will be up here. They would love to pray with you. They would love to answer your questions. Some of them might even like it if you're a cynic. We are thankful that you're here, but we want you to embrace Christ as Lord. So if Christ has revealed your heart today, I'm just going to ask you to come to the front. If you're online and you're watching this, there's grace available for you. You can reach out and ask to speak to a pastor, and one will call you today. Today's an opportunity for us to be reminded that we're to love. And when we fall short, Jesus is there to meet us with his grace. Let us pray. God, you love us. It is difficult at times to come up here and study knowing that I'll be teaching your holy word and feeling so unworthy, but God, you love us. And God, when you made a covenant with Abraham, you told him that you would bless him so that he and his people would be a blessing to the world. And God, that is what the church should be. We were meant to bless the world. We were meant to speak truth. We were meant to love compassionately and extravagantly those in our community. And I pray that you will raise people up who do that in our midst. And God, if there are people here who feel alienated, isolated, disconnected from you because of their sin or some hurt that they've had at the hands of someone else, I, I pray, God, that 
they would come and speak to someone today. God, we want to see you move in our midst. God, show us if there's something blocking that in us. Reveal to us who you truly are. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we are able to pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for being a part of the Brookwood Online Campus today. If this is your first time with us, you can click Let's Connect anytime on our app or website to request information about us or to let us know who you are. We'd love to help you get connected at Brookwood. Resources to help you deepen your understanding of today's message are available on our website and the Brookwood Church app, where you'll also find opportunities to grow your faith, serve, and receive prayer. Please feel free to contact the pastors and staff by email or by calling our main number if you need support or have a question. If you'd like to support Brookwood Ministries along with our local and global ministry partners, you can donate anytime through our app, website, or by mail. I pray that you experience a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ today, and I hope you'll join us again.